Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, March 8th at 11 a.m. Pacific time, and we have one week before we have our Vegas live road show. Gino and I are super excited. We're going to be at Treasure Next Island. Next week right now. Yep. We'll be there firing one away. Week from today. Yep. There will already have been three or four games underway. i got to be honest, Mike. Uh, I think that next Thursday um, is probably my favorite day of the year, uh, at least for me. Um, this was a day I always would <laughs> I would always stay home from school when I was in high school, you know, or even, even younger, to be honest, probably from about 10 on. I would just not go to school that day, and I and my parents just were 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 kind of okay with it because they knew how how much I love March Madness. And what was lucky is that at this part of the year, because I played soccer, so at, like at this part of the year in high school, there weren't any soccer games or practices or anything going on. So like I couldn't stay home all day if I had a game or if I had practice, you know. But since there's nothing going on, stay home all day. You sit down. This is when you got a couple mimosas in the morning because there's never really a day maybe opening day of baseball when you have things going all throughout the day during the week on Thursday and on Friday, we're going to get 16 games next Thursday, 16 games next Friday. I mean, there's more going on right now. And and there's still a lot of big, really important happenings uh, that we're going to talk to Keeneland Dan about in a little bit. So many bubble teams that played yesterday that are playing right now. Uh, I know Louisville uh, just lost. They got beat up by Virginia. They were on the bubble, but they won yesterday. So a win yesterday and then a loss to the number one overall seed, Virginia. Does that keep you, does that bring you in? Or are you still on the outside of the bubble looking in? This is when things get fun over the next week or so, Mikey. Absolutely. And you're getting very specific there with the teams that are on the bubble that could make it. But let's take a step back and talk generalities for a minute. Is the college basketball tourney, the best championship tournament setup of any pro or college sport? Yeah. Um, best is probably uh, most exciting is definitely the, the best way to put it. Be- I mean, best, I'm not sure because when you look at sports, is sporting event are sporting events the best when, when you get uh, maybe unpredictable results or craziness or, you know, you get that, that's why you have to play the game or is it best when the best teams win? You know, like, in, for example, in the NBA, we really never see upsets in playoffs, you know, in, in a series. In, in baseball, you see it a little bit, but uh, in a lot of the sports that you have series, you really don't see upsets very often. You'll see it in football and you'll see it in in college football too, because they're one and done scenarios. So in my opinion, as a fan, the one and done scenarios are by far the most exciting and they're the best to watch because any of these teams, we don't, we haven't ever seen it with the number one seeds yet, but any of these teams could be done one and done. Any of these teams that make it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think it depends on which side of the fence you end up being on. Right. So if you're a fan of a team where you're like, man, I know if we played the same Joker team 10 times, we'd win eight of the 10 times. It just happened to be that we had that one and done format and we lost today. And that really sucks. It's but probably, on the flip side, 
most likely, like what you just said, that underdog, that long shot yep, probably wouldn't win point. in a series. You know, the only chance that they had was to be at their best on a certain day and for the other team not to bring their A game. So it does bring that kind of excitement. And year in, year out, we see upsets every single year. We see Cinderella's make it to the Sweet 16. We see Cinderella's now make it to even, you know, the final eight, you know, final four. So that's what makes the NCAAs so darn exciting and yeah, let's face it, being in Las Vegas is probably the best place to watch the games and be involved with all the energy than maybe to be at the game itself. Oh, yeah, I com- completely agree. I've been a couple times to Vegas uh, on these few days, and it's just unbelievable. Um, the energy, as you mentioned, and it's just the options that we have as consumers when you're in Vegas from a wagering standpoint. I mean, there are 16 games, so it's not like... Um, you know, it, it's similar to you know people like you and I who play the horse races a lot. There's always another opportunity to make a wager, which is nice. You know, first half lines, second half lines. Maybe you're getting beat up in one of the games you played, but you can kind of tweak it and play the second half different. You know, over unders. You can parlay the things, and you can you know make your wagers on who's gonna win the regional, final four teams. However you play, and on Thursday and Friday, we're just gonna have a blast. We're gonna be hanging out at the Treasure Island Sportsbook. And we're going to be bringing on any of uh, any of you folks who are out in Vegas. We'd love for you to come on by. We'll bring you on for a minute. We'll pick your brain on uh, maybe a, a bet or two, some of the games that you like, who are your final four teams. And we uh, really look forward to having a, a fun weekend next weekend. And because for me, next this whole next week, Mike, it's all college basketball now. That's what's nice. Like next week, our show is going to be all college basketball. And right now, our focus for after we're done with uh, with Eno in a minute, and uh, we'll be uh, talking some baseball with him. But once we bring Dan on, then for the next week, we're we're just tunnel vision with uh, with NCAA basketball. So you've been to Vegas a couple times during the tourney. Let me ask you this: When you've been at a sports book or any of the viewing parties, do you think that we have always seen that there's going to be a loud cheer, with, especially towards the end of the game? Um, you know, there's a lot of intensity, especially a one-point game, free throw games, strategy, so on and so forth. Are there more fans of a specific team? For example, like a bunch of Michigan fans that are there or UCLA fans that are there, or is yeah, it I people mean, that are yelling about their money? Yeah, it's more the money. And I'll, I'll, honestly, a lot of the times it's the underdog teams will get the big cheers, you know, but with What's funny, when you think about it from a logistics standpoint, the favorites are who the most people are wagering on. So most of the time, the, the teams that are the chalk are the teams who people are kind of groaning when they get beat. But I think it's just a little different in March Madness because the brackets, too. So, so a lot of people are probably watching, maybe betting a few bucks in Vegas, but maybe they, they put their bracket in a big pool where they have a lot of money invested in their bracket so maybe they're rooting for the underdog teams you're just getting reaction after reaction after reaction and it's not really for anyone which i which i kind of like i kind of enjoy the fact that it's so it's spread out you're not you don't have like unl a bunch of unlv fans there i'm sure if, if unlv gets in and in, in a tournament you're going to have a home contingent but there's not really like a home base team that everybody's going crazy for um, during the tournament because it's so spread out because you have fans from 64 different teams, probably all resented and some uh, represented in some way, shape or form down there. So, you know, you get just so much fun going on. But for me, Mike, the key is we got to get these Trojans in the tournament. 
We got to get them in there. They are just right, right on the outside looking in right now. Actually, I think after a couple losses yesterday, they're probably just still on the bubble. Looking right now, they're just about an 11 seed. Uh, the Trojans, but and let's Eric, face it, that's a huge, huge disappointment based on what the projections were. They were number eight season. preseason. They were. Um, I mean, you got to got to be honest. It's hard to compare conferences. I think because uh, what happens is you play some games in the pre in the before conference schedule start, and some teams you know will do well, others won't, and then you that's kind of okay. That's how every conference is based on what happened then. It's kind of funny because, you know, like a team like Arizona State, they beat Kansas, Kansas State, uh, Xavier. They had some good wins early on in the season, but they've struggled in conference. So now instead of saying that the Pac-12 is a tough conference, we think it's a it's a garbage conference, which I got to be honest, it's not been very top heavy. Arizona, Arizona was ranked number one to start the season. Arizona State was the last undefeated team, and they were ranked number one. And, and then USC started the season off, and they were 4-0, and they were ranked number eight in the nation. And those three teams could possibly be your three that make the tournament. UCLA is also right there, but, you know, it's just been from day one for the Trojans. As a fan, i got to be honest, it's just been a miserable, as bad as things could be season. First game of the year, DeAnthony Melton, who is projected to be a late first-round pick, was not playing. Nobody really knew why. And then there was an investigation going on. He gets cleared of any wrongdoing, yet he still held out the whole season. How, I don't know what, you know, for, for USC as USC fans, that we know that we're kind of scared uh, because of things that have happened with Reggie Bush, with OJ Mayo, with past sanctions. Every other team in college doesn't seem to matter. You know, they, they're playing all their players that were um, investigated under claims and this and that. So it... It just kind of started bad right off the bat. And then Benny Boatwright got hurt, who was USC's leading scorer the last couple of years. So now you're down two of your top three players. Still no excuses, though, Mike. A lot of the games they lost, big leads that they blew late. And it, it didn't matter who was on the court. They were they were really just choking the games away down the stretch. So this, this is a team that's an 11 seed right, um, right now, probably somewhere like that. If they were to get into the tournament, they're going to have to win a game or two in the Pac-12 tourney. But this is a team that really can beat anyone. I don't think they're good enough to win three or four games in a row, but on a one-game perspective with guys like Chemezi Metu, Jordan McLaughlin, both first-team All-Pac-12 players, they are good. They have a deep team of future pros. It's just been a bad, bad, bad year from top to bottom for my poor Trojans. Shifting to another team in the same conference, I was glad to see that uh, Miller was able to continue with the uh, U of A. I, I always feel bad for the kids anytime that there's, you know, some type of scandal that involves their coach that doesn't involve the players themselves. It looks like he's been cleared, I think. Um, I, I was surprised at how quickly they were able to kind of get through that issue and, uh, and allow him to continue. That's what I didn't understand is how quick everything went. It was just boom, boom, and then they're back. They also had Alonzo Trier, another player on Arizona, who was uh, suspended, something to do with uh, performance-enhancing um, substances. And so Trier and Aiton both get cleared. And me, as a USC fan, I'm kind of scratching my head a little frustrated going, how did these guys get cleared after one day and they're playing – USC has a player that got cleared and they still decided not to play him in DeAnthony Melton. Uh, you know, that was a little frustrating from a fan perspective, but 
this this is the bigger problem, Mike, is that we all know what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. There just has to be a better way for these players to get some monetary compensation, um, in particular the NCAA football, NCAA basketball, really the players that are earning a lot of money and that are creating lots of revenue for for their universities. I mean, there has to be some way, shape, or form, whether it be a future payment or future something. It just has to be better than this because we all know what's going on. And now it's got to the point where Arizona and Sean Miller and a lot of these schools just said, we don't care anymore, NCAA. We're going to call you on your bluff. Come and get us because we're just going to keep everybody playing until you do something about it. Well, you know what cracks me up is, you know, the NFL and the NBA in particular, they're sitting pretty when it comes to this kind of stuff, right? Because they're just sitting back, plucking away the best talent. It's basically a free minor league system for them. They don't have to spend a penny on it. You know, look at how many farm teams each major league club has. Look at their scouting departments. They've got to scour through not just D1, D2, D3, NAIA, but also high schools, JUCOs. You know, they got to cover the entire nation. Plus, oh, let's not forget all of Latin America, all of Asia. They got to scout the world and develop the players in a minor league system. All in while the NBA and the NFL just sit back, pluck talent year after year and keep their mouth shut. Oh, let's restrict somebody and make him go to college for one year before we draft him. I mean, give me a break. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous system. I mean, he doesn't, in any other, yeah, in any other situation or scenario, when you're good, I mean, think about it from if you're a singer or if you're an actor or if you're a, a genius engineer and a company wants to hire you when you're 18 and pay you millions of dollars, you're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to do it. You know, you don't, you're not going to go to school for one year if you've already been educated or if you're already set for what your field will be. Right. And, and, and I like what you said. It just, it hurts both the, with the one year, the one and done type thing too. It really does. Cause then you have kids in college that really don't want to be there very much. Uh, or maybe don't even really need to be there. Some do, some don't, but I think, the team, the NBA teams and organizations, what it does is it kind of gives them a little bit more responsibility, kind of puts them in a in a little bit more of what you just said, kind of a scouting spot where it's like, OK, now you're going to have to take your chances on kids that we have really only high school film on, not a hell, another year of college film, kids that you might not know as well. You might not have seen develop again, might hurt your organization a little bit more. You're going to have to be sharper, but you are going to get someone young at 18 and you're going to have their rights and you're going to be able to kind of mold them and shape them how you want. Yeah, exactly right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really what it's all about is molding them, shaping them, uh, you know, and as you want, I want to go back to a point that you made though. And when you're in any other profession, you know, you could jump into, you know, quote unquote bigs at any point in time, you could be offered a contract. That's also why I like that baseball, um, drafts high schoolers, Yeah, you know? So as we kind of, get set for our uh, our continued NCAA college basketball conversation. One website that I just kind of love to mention for everyone who's kind of a dorky bracket fan like me and is curious as to where everybody's kind of seating and where they're moving up and down the ranks, it's bracketmatrix.com. So, and this is a website that we're going to kind of use when we talk with Dan in a little bit. What it does is it averages basically all of the brackets that are out there and it gives you an idea of where the teams are standing in the seedings right now. So you kind of get a good idea of where every team um, sits 
in uh, in the brackets. And so, right as we mentioned before, like me as a USC fan, I see them right now. They have a ten point five one average, and they're sitting at like the top of the eleven seed. So they uh, they need a win or two in the next couple games to hopefully get out of that play in scenario. Yeah, it's a great site, and I didn't know about it until you turned me on to it. And I'm interested to hear if uh, Keeneland Dan utilizes that side or not. Although I suspect he's kind of an encyclopedia in of himself. And, yeah, he's uh, a machine. Yeah, and he, he he comes up with his own projections and, and that type of thing. It'll be interesting to compare what he's come up with com- in comparison to uh, what the numbers show on average of all these other media sites and things of that nature. You know, we've got a couple minutes before commercial break. And we're going to, like you said, we're going to shift to college basketball for the second half of the show and all of next week. Are you getting into baseball mode yet? Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Do you watch any spring training games? Of course. Yeah, you well, watch the only thing that stinks is that the do- a lot of the, the, the this week, the, the last couple Dodger games haven't been on TV, which is kind of head-scratching, even though I have the, I have Access LA, the Dodgers channel. But the next few nights, they are going to be on. And I'm, more than anything, I'm paying attention. Just kind of um, the injuries are the big things that I pay attention to early on. As long as everybody's kind of playing, I could care less what their numbers and stats look like, to be honest. I just want to see from a health standpoint and – like who's playing? Because for me, I got a fantasy baseball draft coming up in about a week and a half. So I'm locking down now and I'm really starting to see, you know, who, who's going to be where. Um, and, you know, Dodgers for me, I'm, I'm always got the Dodger goggles on. So one thing I want to kind of talk to you about when we come back from the break is I want to go over our teams a little bit. The Dodgers who didn't do a whole lot in the offseason, but they may not really have had to. They, they had a good year last year. But as a fan, I'm a little tentative on the Dodgers season coming up this year. And then I want to pick your brain a little bit on the big J.D. Martinez move and the Red Sox. Because what it looks like right now, Mike, if we're just going off of win totals in the NBA and project, or in the MLB and the projections, we really look like we have a top tier of like six teams and then everybody else. It, it, the Astros, the Dodgers... The Yankees, the Indians, the Cubs, the Nationals, and the Red Sox, from as far as projections are concerned, they're all up above 90 wins. And then after that group, it goes down to like the Diamondbacks, Cardinals, Brewers, and Angels, and they're about five or six wins lower than everyone else. So it really does look like we're going to have a top tier of pretty chalky teams this year. And when we come back from the break, I want to ask you, are all of those teams going to win their division? We're going to have, are we going to have six Favorites win the divisions in the MLB this year? I'm going to tell you no. And after the commercial break, I'll tell you who could penetrate through that, who are some of the surprise picks, and you know, teams from that mid, part of the mid-pack that can maybe make a run, especially if they could uh, bolster their clubs with a trade at the, at the trade deadline. Let's talk about that after this very first commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a few short moments. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Are you ready for the latest sports news, the culture around the game, and unique insight? Then you need to make Kareem and the Coach your destination each week. Host Kareem Rush played for the LA Lakers and has the inside track to personas in both professional and college sports. Co-host Eric Newman is a former basketball coach and now a producer and filmmaker. Together they cover sports and entertainment in a fast-paced hour every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino here talking some college basketball and baseball. We are still efforting to get our very first guest, who is Eno Saris of the Athletic MLB. Great writer, very interesting guy. He covers the analytics side of baseball for the Athletic. He's done so also for ESPN and Fox and uh, Fangraphs and he, and he's a great follow. Let me say, because I was looking, I was looking through his Twitter last night when uh, I was just getting some questions ready to ask him. And not only is he a good writer, and and he'll give you great information himself, but he's one of those guys that will share and retweet and and kind of re put out really good articles and really good information from other people. I mean, last night I was reading a FanGraph story that he put out about Billy Hamilton. It's a great story, Mike. Uh, you know, Billy Hamilton, the leadoff hitter for the Reds. There was a writer who went into the clubhouse and had kind of had this new idea, a new analytics idea, basically saying, hey, since you're so fast, you're the fastest player in the majors, but your your issue, one of your struggles is getting on base. He has a tough time hitting the ball. You know, he's a good fielder and he's an ex, he's unbelievably fast, but he, he struggles getting on base. And his idea was maybe to use him like a super sub, basically don't start the game. But then when when you have someone on base, that's when you put Billy Hamilton in. Maybe it's the third inning. Maybe it's the fourth inning. You put him in. He's automatically on first. They did the math. And if that were to be the case, they could get him on base 100 more times this year than last year. And they would be able to score something like 20 more runs. So the assumption is you put him on first, he ends up on third within two or three pitches. The, the assumption is he's automatically on second. 
He's okay, so definitely on second, maybe and on third. And now you're in scoring position. He's the type of guy that could steal third again. And what they were even saying would be, now what you could do is maybe in the first inning, you in the right off the bat, you put one of your best hitters that's maybe not a good fielder or maybe not someone that would play the rest of the game. You get that guy in a bat. Now you get one of your best hitters in a bat right, right away. And if he gets on base, all of a sudden, you just use the best of both worlds. You use one of your best hitters' ability to get on base, and now you got your fastest player who is able to score. There was something like he, he scored 44% of the time he got on base last year, which was almost double everyone else on the Reds. Okay, so, so what, do you mean, do, what do you do when it's – so is it the first guy that gets on base? Like, let's say it's Joey Votto. He, no, no, he said it's if it's not Joey Votto or a pitcher. Okay. Because he, he had a higher war – than basically everybody else on the team besides Joey Votto and you know and pitching wise you can't take a pitcher out necessarily that early in the game but, but they were saying that his impact would be more and if you get that run and it was kind of funny because the story that I was reading uh, you hear like other players from the that are in the clubhouse are kind of listening and coming up and they're kind of chiming in like oh wait this would be kind of cool you'd automatically you know they're kind of piggybacking on the idea but billy hamilton doesn't like the idea because he wants to start and well, he wants you to know what let's game. let's ask let's ask eno about that thought because that that's a really interesting idea i'd love to love to hear it from him uh, straight out of his mouth let's bring in our first guest and that is eno saris like i said before he's written for Fangraphs, espn fox mlb.com sb nation many others currently he's the analytics writer at the Athletic MLB, we're talking about none other than Eno Saris. Good afternoon, Eno. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing good. I got time a little late. I got tied up in a in a conversation with Chris Dickerson, uh, former MLB here, about uh, VR and how virtual reality is the next new training technique, and how you players are going to be able to step in against the starting pitcher that night uh, and take some virtual swings before they ever step into the box for real. So. Wow, that's Just, really interesting. I got so really is into it, and I'm here now, though. <laughs> uh, no, that, that's actually fascinating. So you're on with Mike and Gino. We're talking to Eno Saris of the Athletic MLB, joining us straight from the ballpark. I think which, uh, which game uh, are you visiting today? Uh, I'm here in Maryvale to see the Brewers play. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody. That tells that tells me how many games you're at, <laughs> constantly moving. <laughs> yeah, who who have you got to spend? Uh, baseball, the outcome won't matter. <laughs> yep. yeah, who, who have you got to spend some of the most time with uh, as far as teams? Have you kind of ended up around a, a few teams more than others? And if so, well, kind of what are the the buzz with some of those teams you spent a lot of time with so far? Uh, well, I stepped in uh, for my man Andrew Baggerly, who does the beat the beat for San Francisco. Um, uh, for the athletic, and he needed a day off, so I I stepped in yesterday and talked to Jeff Samarge about his new curveball grip and uh, the spin rate. Uh, you know, just just checked it out. Talked to yep, talked spin rate. He talked about he talked about harnessing his spin better, and that his new grip would would have a spin axis that mimicked his four seam better. So coming out of the hand, it would look more like his four seam. So uh, he changed his grip in order to do that. Um, that was fun. Uh, the Giants are, are it, it, you know, being in the Giants yesterday and Brewers today is very different because the Giants are veteran. Uh, they, they run through their drills without a lot of hoopla and without a, a lot of yelling, just, you know, quiet, you know, professional sort of vibe. 
um, out here today in Maryville for the Brewers. They were playing soccer for one of their drills. Um, they turned one of their throwing drills into this competition. They were yelling about who was winning and who was losing. Uh, there was a lot of yelling and music. And, um, you know, it's just uh, two slightly different teams. I, I think they're both interesting because the Brewers are going, are going for it with a young squad, and they're like, doing a little bit more like the Astros and Cubs did it, developing a young core and trying to build around it. Whereas the Giants are, are, are trying to hold on to an older core, and they went and got, you know, older players at a time when nobody wants older players. So, you know, both camps are pretty interesting. That's okay, really I interesting. To, I have oh, to ask him, though, Mike, first and foremost, because I'm a, I'm a Dodger fan, so you were talking Giants, uh, and the Giants should be a little bit better this year, and maybe a couple of the teams in the West take a little bit of a step back. Arizona was pretty good last year, and Colorado, they might have overachieved a little bit early on in the season. But from a Dodgers perspective, what's your kind of overall feeling on the team? Because I look at this team, um, we got big contributions last year from Taylor, Bellinger, and Puig. I wonder, are we going to get those kind of contributions again from them? Feels like we know what we're getting from Turner. But now Seager, what's up with his injury? I know he's going to maybe play the field next week. A lot of guys really overachieved for a team that's deep but doesn't have a ton of you know, stars offensively, I think. How do you see this team coming back this year? Because I'm a little bit nervous after the World Series hangover heading into the season. I could see that. Um, you know, the, the, what they're doing is kind of almost what the Cardinals have done is build a team with no holes and a lot of depth. And the, what the, I think the, the genius of the Dodgers is they're combining a team with no holes and, and a lot of depth with the resources to go and get stars. So, you know, Clayton Kershaw is a star for me. Yeah. On the offensive side, I see, you know, some potential for regression, but I also believe in those three players, in, in Puig and Taylor and Bellinger. Um, so I, I don't think that it'll be, it'll be too bad. And if somebody gets hurt, they've, they've got lots of minor league talent, um, you know, lots of veteran talent. They'll stash on the DL. They've proven they'll do that. Um, so they, they found ways to, to inject their team with a lot of depth. I think they'll be a juggernaut again. Uh, I think they even kept some resources in the tank uh, so that uh, in the in-season they can go and get somebody again. Okay, thank you. You make me feel a lot better already, you know. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we were talking about specific teams, you know, with the uh, Giants and Dodgers. Let's take a step back and talk generalities for a moment. You know, you're, you're the guru in terms of analytics, and for – so many uh, listeners out there, they've heard the term many times, you know. So, in your words, w- what is or what are analytics and where does sabermetrics fall into that category? Yeah, I actually um, prefer analytics a little bit more than sabermetrics because I think sabermetrics, people think of just raw numbers, Excel spreadsheets. Um, and for me, analytics are actually just deep dives. And so sometimes it can be mechanics. Um, sometimes it can be strategy. Sometimes, it, you know, usually informed by numbers in some way. They have to, it has to come back to uh, projections and, and how important is this? What do the numbers say? How important this is? But analytics, I think, can be a sort of, sort of larger way of looking at things. But, you know, sometimes it manifests in the weirdest ways. You know, this them playing soccer here today, that's in a way probably informed by analytics. What they find is that a loose team plays better and that playing other sports is a good way to activate muscles you don't use all the time in baseball and to maybe improve your footwork 
and to do something athletic in a game, in a game format so that they are actually running instead of when you see them jogging around a lot of times, you just see them going through the motions, you know. This is, you know, by making it soccer, we're going we're gonna to get you more involved. Um, so, you know, and I'm sure they have, you know, research that's proven that this is a good idea. So that's, so analytics can be, you know, kicking the soccer ball around. It's not necessarily just, um, you know, what comes out of the spreadsheet. So are you saying that somehow it, you know, numerically or assigns a value to try to, you know, basically come up with a number for chemistry? Team chemistry? That would be analytics. That would be analytics. And I think there probably is a way people have tried. Um, Sam Miller had a great piece on that. I don't think, you know, I think, uh, you, know, say, you know, anybody who studies baseball, I think that it's almost like a scientist. I've heard a scientist say, you know, I don't, I don't know that I have an explanation, but I know that the explanation is out there. So I think it would be silly to say chemistry doesn't exist. That's, I don't think a real, a serious researcher would say that. I think they would say chemistry is something we haven't been able to put a number on. But if you can help me design a way to think about this or design a study, I'll do it. You know, it's just, sure. uh, it's not an easy one to study because, you know, people, people mix with people very differently. Like Eric Hosmer might have been perfect in Kansas City. Um, where he grew up with all those players. All those players came up through the system with him. They developed all together, and they probably had crazy nights out and, um, you know, just lots of fun. And he was, like, the guy who also mixed it with working hard. And so they're all like, oh, this guy's super fun, and he works hard. And so that makes him a leader, right? Well, what if he comes to San Diego and maybe he doesn't like one guy and he doesn't have any history with them and he hasn't partied with them? And they're like, uh, who's this guy? He made $140 million. I don't know if I like him. So, you know, every situation is different. Everybody's personalities interact differently. And so I would say that chemistry is a hard thing to put a number on. And so, therefore, maybe we shouldn't value it too highly until we know how much to value it. That's really interesting that you say that because it seems like certain GMs do their research, do their homework, dig in a little bit further and, and figure out who are the type of guys that could mesh. And it seems like every move they make turns to gold. And then there are other teams they'll bring in free agents or, or, you know, try to try to assemble a team and they just don't construct it the right way. So it'll be interesting to see how to, 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 uh, to find out how many of those guys, you know, are, are, uh, you know, have maybe have, have an in-house formula, perhaps, you know, they've got their yeah. own statisticians and analytics team to be able to create that. But, I want to, speaking of front offices, I want to ask you, you know, is there a fine balance between the old school mentality? Let's just say like the, the Jim Leland, the Tommy Lasorda, the Tony LaRussa, the Lou Pinella, or even some of the current managers that are uh, old school, like uh, Bochi and Sosha with today's modern day, really young general manager. Is there some kind of balance where you need to have an old school baseball mentality to be able to pick out talent and then somebody who's got expertise with the numbers? Uh, for sure. Actually, I think that interaction is probably one of the most crucial to team success and also the hardest to be prescriptive about because I think that maybe the most important role for a, for a coach or for, you know, for a manager, basically, for me, is managing personalities. And different clubhouses need different voices. And I think there's you can almost just sort of basically kind of put people into like the yeller package, the, the intense yeller kind of uh, manager. 
versus the kind of more relaxed players coach type manager. And I think um, there have been a lot of archetypes for both. And if you just look at the career of Joe Torre, Joe Torre uh, was a, more of a relaxed player type manager. You know, in one situation, he didn't win that much. He comes to the Yankees with a bunch of veterans at the right time. Uh, they're all professionals, and he's just the perfect voice uh, for the Yankees at that time. So, um, you know, I think that that's why we see managers sort of move in and out um, as teams get older and, and uh, teams find their identity because they're trying to find the perfect manager for that group of players at that time. It's not, uh, there is no perfect manager with a, P, per, with a capital P and a capital M, you know. Could that be Aaron Boone? Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for the Phillies, I think it's really interesting to bring Gabe Papler in because he's very intense. And um, it may, may be perfect for, like, a young group of, you know, intense young professionals to, to come in and just be like, you know, we're all just going to, you know, be like 100% all the time. We're just going to really try hard. Or it might rub them the wrong way, and they're like, why is this guy so intense when we just want to chill out and play some baseball? So, um, you know, you never know how it will work, and I don't think it will necessarily be because if he fails, I don't think it will be because he's into numbers or he's, he's friendly to, to stats. I think that's everybody, you know, even Bochy, everybody is looking at the stats and, and trying to play the matchups. It's if he fails, it's because there's probably some sort of personality clash at some level with some of the players. Uh, you know, question, it, it looks, just from looking at, like, win totals and projections and stuff, curious if yours differ at all, it looks like it's going to be a pretty formful um, season, at least in the National League in particular. I mean, there are six teams that are projected to win, like, five or six more games than, than the rest of the group. The Astros, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Indians, the Cubs – the Nationals, and then you have the Red Sox as kind of the top wild card team as far as projections are concerned. Who of those teams do you think maybe come back to life? Are there any of those teams that you think don't win their divisions or we don't see in the playoffs? Because I'm looking at those squads, and they're going to be pretty tough to get by. Yeah, I think above the, when it comes to the top, top squads, um, you know, depth is going to be a big question mark. I think that the Astros and Dodgers have built in a lot of depth. If you look at their starting pitchers in particular, uh, you go seven, eight, nine deep before you kind of start shaking your head a little bit. Um, whereas I think with the Yankees, maybe they have less depth. I'm not, I'm not as sure about their seventh, eighth, and ninth type starters. I don't even really know who they are. So, you know, if the Yankees run, run the table and everyone's healthy, they are decently young. Uh, then they're, then they're going to be a great team, and they could be a, a threat to win it all. But I, I do look at the Yankees and say, you know, Stanton goes down with a hammy. Um, what happens if Luis Severino has something go barking? All of a sudden this team uh, looks a little different. You know, we've got about uh, a minute before we have to get to our next commercial break, and we'll have to hopefully uh, bring you back on in, in a future date to, to talk a little bit more specifics. But do, do, do Judge and Stanton hit – 90 home runs between them? In a full, healthy year, yeah, I could, I could see them hitting. I mean, I, I would say the over-under is probably somewhere around 85, 90, yeah. I mean, I don't the, – the, the park there is going to help stand a little bit, maybe not a lot, maybe not, you know, give him 20 more, but it's going to help him. Uh, and Judge is only getting older, and you start – you see some real adjustments from him. He's had times where, you know, he's – you know, you see maturity and he, you see him – he had some struggles last year, and he kind of righted the ship. And I, I like to see that. That means to me that 
he's going to be a dynamic hitter. and it's, He's not going to be defined by his strikeouts, I don't think. I think he's going to be like Stanton, where he improved his strikeout rate every year he was in the major leagues, basically. So I think that's going to be the duo offensively in baseball this year. Most that's important question stuff. to close it out, you know, give me a good beer that I need to drink right now. I know you're a beer connoisseur. Well, what's something that you're into <laughs> right now? Well, you guys are, are based in, in Philly, right? No, we're we're in LA. We're in LA. We're in California. So oh, yeah, in we're, LA. We're, yeah. All right. Um, oh, Los Angeles, huh? I mean, you you've got Monkish down there. Beachwood is amazing. But okay. I have this personal favorite uh, that people don't talk about as much. El Segundo, I think, just makes really really good IPAs. Um, and uh, you'll see them around in LA. You'll see them in 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 the uh, in the fridge. I think El Segundo awesome. is my is my my pick. Okay, That's we're gonna go get a, a six packer of those, Mikey. That sounds really good. You know, can we can we uh, can we invite you back maybe a couple weeks into the season and talk about how the numbers are shaking out so far? For sure, I'd love to come back on. Awesome, you know, really appreciate it. If you want to, as we uh, send you off here, maybe give the listeners a way they could follow you and uh, and read your material. Yeah, easiest spot is uh, Twitter or Facebook. Actually, E N O S A R R I S. That's the easiest way to find me. Outstanding. Good stuff, Eno. Enjoy the ball game, and we will circle up with you in a few weeks. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, my man. Appreciate it. That was Eno Saris of the Athletic MLB. Good stuff there. We're going to take a commercial break and then wrap this up with full college basketball coverage with Keeneland Dan. See you in a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety Ray Ellis on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, we're talking pig pursuits. With few season restrictions, generous bag limits, and plenty of opportunities, hunters never tire of burning some bacon. Joining us is Fred Eichler of Predator Nation, Hal Schaefer from Greg Zipidelli's Drop Zone, and Jerry Courtney, VP of Marketing for Ranch Hand. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino here sitting back talking about college basketball with Keeneland Dan, who is our next guest. And hopefully he's going to give us some tips for our Vegas Roadshow so that we can maybe hit a couple parlays or something like that. Gino, let's bring in our first guest. It is Keeneland Dan with Fat Bald Guy Racing. Dan, how are you? Good, good. Ready for all these games this weekend. Should be a, should be a fun couple of weeks, shouldn't it? Bunch of games to, to watch and try to figure out, you know, who the – who the side you should be on. <laughs> and you know you're a hardcore Cincy fan as your brother, uh, Mick, is the coach of Cincinnati, and they have had an incredible year. Um, right now, they're looking like a pretty solid two. We'll, you know, we'll talk about Cincy for a second, and then we'll kind of jump into everyone else. But I, I'd imagine as a fan, you have to be extremely happy with what they've done this year. Mick's got to be really happy. They've done a great job, and they look like right now, uh, they're probably, I think, the they have maybe the fourth two seed in right now, but only room to move up. And uh, if a couple of these teams in front of them lose, then um, they, they could be an, a really strong, steady two. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty well set that they're going to be the two in the South. And unless, unless you know, somehow SMU would, would upset Cincinnati tomorrow, um, I, I think it's pretty well set that it's going to be the two in the South. Virginia's going to be the one. Um, you know, who the three is going to be is still up for debate, I guess. But, uh, you know, I think it's either going to be Tennessee, Auburn, Michigan State, or Michigan. It's going to be one of those four um, that you would get in the Sweet 16. But, you know, in the second round, they're probably looking at a, you know, a middle-of-the-road uh, Big East team or a Big 12 team, and, and that's not going to be easy. Those teams are seasoned. You know, they've played in really tough conferences. So, you know, you, you can't just say you're going to be in the Sweet 16 because you're a two-seed, but, you know, the, the year's been so incredible, and, we all we all know this. If you don't have NBA level players, it's so hard to advance in the tournament. It just is. And finally, we've got for sure one. And Jacob Evans is an NBA player, and and a couple of the other guys will make money playing basketball. I don't know if they'll make the NBA, but you know they'll play in Europe. Kyle Washington's going to play pro ball somewhere, and Gary Clark will play somewhere, and eventually Kane Broom will play somewhere. So I mean, there's some professional level players on this team that. And that's really the first time Mick's had that in a long time. I'm uh, looking at bracketmatrix.com. It's one of the websites I kind of use when I'm getting an idea of how all the right. the um, the pundits see it. It's a good one. It kind of averages everything out. So let's kind of roll through um, a little bit. They say Virginia, Villanova, Xavier, and Kansas uh, at the ones, and then Duke. Purdue, North Carolina, Cincinnati in the twos. Then we have Auburn, Michigan State, Tennessee, Michigan through the three. So that's basically the top 12 or so that they have right now. Um, of those teams or th- those groups, anyone jump out at you as a team that you think is a little overrated or a team that you think will be for sure in your final four? Well, I, I think Duke has the most talent in the country, and I think the committee's sitting in there right now trying every way possible to give them a one seed. And I think soon as <laughs> like always. it's beat, yeah, like always. I mean, it just is what it is. I mean, you know, but whether you believe in conspiracies or you just think that, I mean, anybody that watches Duke knows they've probably got the best players in the country. So, you know, the fact that they 
that they're probably going to end up a one seed unless they would get upset in the ACC tournament. If they get to the finals, I, I think they'll give them the one over Kansas because with Kansas without their big guy, they're probably going to lose to Oklahoma State or lose the next game. So I don't know how Kansas can hold that number one seed. I, I've never thought all along they should have been one. You know, if, if you made me, you know, pick which one seed would you like to play, it would be Kansas. You know, it's because they're just, they're not a typical Kansas team. They've only got one big guy. He's nursing a bad knee. He's not going to play in this tournament. So, you know, he's going to be on a couple week rest into the NCAA. Their guards are good. But, you know, normally with Kansas, we'd all look and say, okay, this guy's an NBA player. This guy's an NBA player. You know, they got two, three, four NBA players. When I look at this roster, name me the guy that's a sure shot eight to 10 year NBA player. I'm not sure they have one. You know, That's a really a interesting really good, point. Solid college team, but they do not have NBA, you know, level players. So I, I think they're a little bit overrated. I mean, there's no way I would take Kansas over Duke if they play, or if if I was in that room, I would just say, guys, this team's got four NBA players. This team's got zero. Um, they got comparable records. I don't know how you could possibly. Put Kansas over Duke, but that's just my opinion there. And then, you know, I talked with you off the air just a, a second about Auburn. I mean, a lot of people don't understand. They lost their big man a couple games ago. He was the rim protector, their shot blocker. They're a different team now. So, you know, if I'm Cincinnati as the two, I'm praying for Auburn to be the three. I mean, that would be your easiest bracket to get through. Now, obviously, you still got to beat them. They got very high quality guards, but. You know, they don't have anybody to guard the rim anymore. So, yes, they won the SEC regular season, but I'm not sure they're the best team now without that kid. So that would be another team I would keep my eye on that I would I would be betting against if I got any kind of odds in a decent little bracket there with Auburn. I, I'm not sure they'll even get to the Sweet 16. Dan, let me piggyback on the thought. When you're talking about teams with talent and, and the number of guys that they have that could project to be NBA guys and things of that nature – I think one component to advancing and making a far, a far run, deep run into the tournament is talent. The other factor is usually going to be matchups. And yeah. I've found that in the years past, teams that are kind of a one-trick pony, you know, are the ones that are most likely to get upset by, you know, like the, the Princetons of the past and, and teams like that. Who's, which are the teams that are more adept to handle different schemes? I guess the team that's maybe the most versatile that, uh, you know, can can win the race, you know, taking the lead and can, can sit back off the lead, if you will, and, and be able to, to, to make a run? Yeah, I think Villanova, Virginia, Michigan, Cincinnati, all four of those teams can win in different ways. They don't, they don't have to score 80 to win, and they can also hold you to 55 if they have to. Um, Purdue's a little bit like that, but they've struggled a little bit down the stretch, and I'm not. I'm just not sure how good the Big Ten was this year. It, that league was really, really down. So I, I'm not sure how far they can advance. North Carolina is another one. I mean, they've got some young NBA players that are just not ready yet. They've got a senior leader at point guard. They got a real quality uh, in May. They got the you know the star that can get that can put them on their back. And you know when they come to play defense, which they can do when they try. You know they just don't always try. Um, North Carolina is another one that could be that could be there, and and I'll tell you the sleeper, and I'm hoping we don't play him again on Sunday. Wichita State guys is really really good. They go eight or nine deep. They got a great coach. 
They got size. They got that moose in the middle, Morris, that can really score. They got an NBA point guard and Shamit. I mean, that team, if I'm a one seed, I don't want to see Wichita State as the four. That, I would be cringing. Um, and I just said that to my Xavier buddies at lunch today. They were all bragging about, yeah, they're going to get a one seed, and they, and they will. But if I, Xavier's one of those teams that they're the one-trick pony, they can only win one way, outscore you. They're trying to beat everybody 90 to 85, 85 to 80, and they've won about 10 games this year in the last minute of the game. They've won all, every one of them. Every game that's went to the buzzer, they've won every one of them. But in the tournament, when it's 80 to 80, you know, and you're the favorite, you start cringing a little, right? You're not the Cinderella anymore like there used to be, and they're the one seed, not the 11 seed. All of a sudden, it's a little bit more nerve-wracking for those kids to be the one that's supposed to win instead of the team that's supposed to upset. And a lot of times, you don't play as free and easy in the tournament, you know, when you're the favorite. You know, a couple of years ago, they were a two-seed. They got beaten the second round by Wisconsin. It was a seven-seed, you know. But then they're an 11-seed. Last year, they go to the Elite Eight playing free and easy. Um, I, I look for, and I, I hate to say this because I do root for Xavier, but I think they're really susceptible in the second to third round. Um, get a team like a Wichita State or a Texas Tech that got seniors that can come at you in waves and can score. And I'm not sure Xavier wants to sit down and guard anybody. So it, that, that's the team that I would say of all the ones and all the twos that I think might get ousted early. Dan, we got about three minutes before we close. We're on with Keeneland, Dan, Fat Bald Guy Racing, checking them out. Dan, we are here on the West Coast. We're in L.A., Gino and I. And obviously, any West Coaster is always going to be a little bit sensitive about the East Coast bias and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're, we're hoping that we could find a West Coast team that could make a run. Unfortunately, this year, it looks like the best teams are Arizona, Gonzaga, and maybe Nevada, Reno from out West. And outside of that, I mean, do any of those three even have a chance to be able to, to, to win the title? Arizona does because they've got the freak. And, you know, if Aiden comes to play and plays hard for 35 to 36 minutes, he's on the floor, he can be absolutely dominating. Um, I don't know about all the craziness around that program right now, if they can concentrate and, you know, and buckle down in that locker room, us against the world and rally. But they've got the talent to win the whole thing. There's no doubt Arizona's got the talent. Dan, let me go quick hitters with you. I'm going to give you a team, and you let these are bubble teams, and you let me know, do you think this team is in or out as of right now? Baylor. Okay. Baylor is out. Bama, who is actually playing right now. They need a miracle. If they get to the SEC finals, they might. But they, that would be their 15th loss. I, I don't see any way they get in with 15 losses. Arizona State. I think they're going to be in the play-in game in Dayton. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to get an Arizona State, Oklahoma? I think that should be a play-in game with those two teams. I think, I think it might be. I, I really right? believe it might be. Two teams with good success early on in the season that have struggled late. What about out here in the West, USC and UCLA? I think they both squeak in. I, I think UCLA is probably just a little bit safer, but I, I think they both get in. Just They're probably going to both be dangerous 10-11 seeds. Because I mean, UCLA has got talent, man. And, and they got some good wins. Uh, they're, they're just, you know, that whole season's been a blow-up with all the craziness that went on. But I, both teams are pretty good. They can win a game or two. Uh, and then Providence is another one that always seems to be right around the bubble and in the play-in. Yeah, yeah. 
Providence, he might be, Coach Cooley might be the luckiest coach in America, other than right, that the Big East broke up. <laughs> well, Dan, we... we uh, I'm sorry, I was going to say, we, we're, we're, we're up against it. We're about to close the show here. Can we bring you back to join us in, you know, during, during the uh, tourney and, and break yeah, down anytime. some of the, the matchups? Yeah, like two weeks, Absolutely. we'll come back anytime. when we're down into the, the, you know, like the, the Elite Eight. We'll talk at, and we'll also pick your brain on some three-year-olds in horse racing. We'll kind of see who you, uh, who you like heading into the Derby preps in, uh, in the Derby. Well, I can tell you this. If Bolt Dioro wins this weekend, I will lose every dollar in my pocket. <laughs> and I'll give you a tip of, of what I think of Bolt Dioro. We're going well. against the Bolt this weekend. Keeneland Dan, you can find him on Twitter. Keeneland Dan, you can also uh, find his really good information with horse racing. He's at Fat Bald Guy Racing, at Fat Bald Guy Racing, uh, FatBaldGuyRacing.com for all the horse racing stuff. But he's on Twitter, Keeneland Dan at Fat Ball Guy Racing, and you love to interact with the people. You're always talking college basketball, and we really appreciate having you on, Dan. You are as sharp as they come when it's talking to NCAA Thank tourney. I'll, Thanks, hey, Dan. I'll talk, appreciate I'll talk you joining to anybody us. about basketball horses only, no politics, right? <laughs> Let's do it, my friend. Awesome. Well, we, right. we thank Dan for joining us, and we hope to see you all in Las Vegas next week at the Treasure Island. And yeah, if we'll you can't promote it all it, week. We'll keep yep. reminding you on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram and everything. And if you can't make it, please listen in. We will see you guys next Thursday live from Las Vegas. Have a great sports weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.